This episode of State of the Nova Nation is sponsored by our friends at Homefield. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, brings you comfortable, officially licensed vintage apparel. The Villanova collection has launched on homefieldapparel.com, spanning 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, and crewnecks, all vintage marks. I love my Nova Nation t-shirt from Homefield, especially how comfortable and soft the fit is, as well as how awesome the vintage Wildcat logo looks. A couple of my other favorites are the V for Victory t-shirt and the Villanova retro crewneck. New customers can get 15% off their first purchase from Homefield with code VUHOOPS at checkout. Be sure to explore every piece of the new Villanova collection at homefieldapparel.com to make sure you're all set for March. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, we've got a pretty big week in the lead up to the Big East tournament. This episode will drop on March 1st. So happy March. Happy beginning of spring. Happy more daylight in the day. (laughs) We love it. How's it going? This is March. We're here. We are here. Uh, I'm super excited. Can you believe this is the last week of the regular season? Wow. I I still feel like it's November and we're just getting into recording and just getting into the beginning of the season. And now it's literally the end of the regular season. I remember so vividly getting ready to go to that Mount St. Mary's game to, you know, kick off the season as fans back in the pavilion. I feel like it was two weeks ago and we are now here approaching the final home game of the season on Tuesday and then a road trip to Indianapolis uh, on Saturday. It is wild how fast it's all gone. But as I said, this is March. We are here. Big East tournament a week away. NCAA tournament two weeks away. It's the best time of the year for college hoops. Yeah, we, we'll sleep in a few months, right? <laughs> we sleep in May. We'll, we'll get through this and then we'll sleep for a few months. No, but this is obviously the most exciting time of the year. And I think you could say that we've had games that have resembled what we will probably see in March. Cough, cough, when nine teams went down on Saturday. Oh, first time ever that the top six teams and the top 25 all lost on the yep. same day. Uh, it was March before March uh, here in the the last couple days of February. So it's been fun. I actually think that has been a theme all season long. And I don't know if it's because we're rebounding from the COVID year and all these guys are back with extra eligibility and they're trying to get the most out of their potentially last time on the court. But it feels like we've been saying it's March before March since literally December. And Mm -hmm. I, I truly don't mean that as an exaggeration. So many games Villanova games and across the country, the national games that you see on TV all the time, there has been such a high intensity in these games. And that makes me even more excited for March because then we're hitting a new level and we're going to do things a little bit different today. We're actually going to start with the Big East talking about all the crazy games from the weekend. We're going to get into some of that. We're going to preview Providence, of course, which as you're listening will be on tonight, a really, really fun game to look forward to. And then because we don't have a game to recap we have some time mm. to riff a little bit and because this episode is dropping on the first day of march we're going to talk a little bit about what it's going to take for villanova to make a deep run this month so i'm super excited riff we will uh with this being <laughs> a, a different type of episode but excited for it and to your point about you know the games being so crazy this year 
I really think it's just been a, a super high level of college basketball across a bunch of different teams. While I know people don't think there's a true favorite when it comes to mm. your national champion front runner, which I would agree with as much as I think Gonzaga is phenomenal. You know, we did see them drop to St. Mary's over the weekend. There are so many really, really good teams in college basketball this year that I think it's all played into in what has been a phenomenal season from start to finish or not finish from start to where we are right now yeah. and uh, is shaping up to be a really exciting finish. Yeah, that's a good point. Last year, we knew it was going to be Gonzaga-Baylor from the yeah, start. It was and this year, <laughs> it's truly anyone's game. And honestly, this is what it was like before the COVID-shortened season when you had the, the mm. Dayton's and the Florida States and the USC's that were trying to, to make their way. It feels like that this year. Any team could go out and shock and we already saw it and it, it was only February over the weekend. So crazy stuff. Um, we're going to wait on the Providence Creighton game for obvious reasons, mm. but where do you want to start over the weekend first? Yeah. So it, there was a ton of games in action. Every single team in the big East was in action other than Villanova, which first looking at Villanova, that might not necessarily be a bad thing for this squad. Mm-hmm. Just looking at recently, they've played six games in 18 days. They've played four games in 11 days. You know, we know that Justin Moore, Gillespie, Samuel Slater, Antoine have all had some injuries or lingering health concerns throughout the season. And also, yes, they lost their last game to UConn at this part, this stage in the season. How terrible is it for them coming off a loss? Take a breath, you know, review what just happened and get ready to go again for the home stretch. I, I actually think this break, as weird as it felt over the weekend, not watching a game, comes at a great time for Nova. Oh, I feel the same way. Injuries especially. I mean, if I finally feel like we've hopefully turned the Slater corner, maybe hopefully. as I say that, I'm jinxing it. Hmm. But you're right. I, I mean, Antoine, always something. Gillespie, I can say a little bit on, on this, uh, a little bit more on this later, but that injury might have been more than we thought it did, or at least that we gave Colin credit for because he is so tough, but I a hundred percent agree with you. It stunk to not watch Villanova play, but hmm. this came at the right time, even though these last two games of the season might not mean anything. And I'm doing air quotes. As I say that we have a lot of really, really high importance games coming up that the guys need to be healthy and rested for. Yeah, certainly. Uh, so it, I, I'm just saying, I think it came at a good time. I, I yeah. do. So to try to see have this team be refreshed and recharged going into a uh, a big matchup, while it might not be a big game, it depends mm-hmm. on how you want to look at it on Tuesday night. Of course, we'll discuss that in a little bit. And of course, the home stretch here with Butler and then the Big East tournament. Yeah. So I want to start with Marquette. Can we do that? I mean, I just mentioned Butler, so you might as well go <laughs> with Butler Marquette, right? <laughs> so to give, actually, I'll start with Butler. To give Butler credit, in a season where... I guess you could say there were higher expectations because we thought this was the season where Jordan was finally going to put it together. They didn't. And then as time went on, we realized, yeah, some of us, (laughs) you're right. You called it from the beginning. They truly had nothing. And it seems like in the last few games, they've at least put up a fight Mm -hmm. and not every team has done that. So they, they made it really close against Providence. They kept it within single digits against Marquette. They're at least putting up a fight, but Marquette, I think, is the much more interesting opponent to look at just because of how their roller coaster of a season is going to end. Mm-hmm. They started off strong. They hit a bad stretch at the beginning of the of the conference schedule. They pulled off that seven or eight game stretch, right? Swept Villanova. And now they've lost four of their last seven. And they've lost to UConn, Providence, Butler, 
and Creighton. So it's a total mixed bag there. They're becoming more one-dimensional and reliant on Justin Lewis than the first than the first time we saw them, or the second time we saw them around. Honestly, I so yes, you are completely right that they're on this roller coaster, and honestly, no one knows where this roller coaster is going to stop when you play them. I still want zero part of this team come the yeah. Big East tournament because of how they seem to turn it on and turn it off in so many different ways. Um, it, it's been odd would I guess be the nicest way I can put how, how things have been with them this year or lately, I should say Um, you're so right that it's become a little too reliant on Justin Lewis and their offensive metrics have fallen a little bit with that uh, in mind. More sales a really good player and has the ability to, uh, to take off and, and, and lead them in scoring even when Lewis isn't there, but it just feels like this team it is Justin Lewis carrying the load. And when he is not on as he was not against Butler, you know, things can get really dicey and Butler was tied in this game with five minutes to go. And then Marquette mm-hmm. was able to, to close out. They played really good second half defense only held the, the Bulldogs to 23 points in that half. And so defensively they were able to get it done here, but the, the stop start of Marquette, I think it's what makes Marquette fans nervous is that this team just consistency eludes them. But we also all know once they get hot, it's really difficult to stop that train. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so difficult to beat them. I also want zero part of them in the Big East tournament. I don't think anyone should want part of them in the NCAA tournament. But the bottom line here is we're talking about Justin Lewis. We're talking about offensive metrics. Mm. Defense is their thing. And they haven't been locking down defenses like they were in that stretch when they were limiting Georgetown to only 64 points and Seton Hall to 63 points and Villanova to 54 points. Now all of a sudden we're seeing seventies and eighties. And that's what makes me concerned because that is completely against the blueprint of Shaka smarts game plan and defense. And that's going to have to be something that immediately gets rectified because we knew from the start that this offense wouldn't be the firepower. This offense might not even be able to keep up with teams. That's why they were so far down the preseason list in the big East. And they've surprised people. I, I kind of always knew that they would be really dangerous because of Shaka smart, but that defense isn't looking as good as it did even a couple of weeks ago at this point, it just came crumbling down so quickly. It's a great point because their last five games before this Butler game, they had allowed at least 77 points in all of them which is just, a lot. it's, and it's yeah. really surprising with how leaned in at times this, uh, this Marquette team has been, they can give up points. Don't get me wrong. If you look through their schedule, they have been scored on more than a few times, but you know, the big thing with Marquette is, are they forcing turnovers? That that's yeah. their thing. You know, can they run in transition, all things like that. And when it starts to dry up a little bit, teams are able to exploit that. And I think you saw that recently. And then they play Butler who scored 56 points. Yeah. <laughs> so that helps. Riding the coaster, just mm-hmm. riding it out. It truly is. Um, you want to talk about another team that is riding the roller coaster of this season? Is it a roller coaster or is it just a nosedive is what it feels like? A free point. fall. Yeah. yeah. Bad. <laughs> the Xavier Musketeers are literally now on the cusp of not making the NCAA tournament. And there were people that thought that they could win the Big East tournament straight up before the season started. I I really struggle to wrap my head around what is going on there. I I wish I could give credit to who said it. It was either, I think it was either Brendan Riley or or Chris from the full 40. If I get that wrong, I'm so sorry. But someone said the best part about this Xavier team is how they look on paper. 
And who, whoever said that could not be more correct because I've said it so many times this season that you look at this Xavier team and wow, they, they have Paul Scruggs to lead the offense. They have Colby Jones, an athletic wing type player. They have Fremantle who can do it all. Nunji has come in and made an impact. Kunkel can hit from three. This should be a really good team. They are seven and 10 in conference. That's, I know how good the big East is three games under 500 with how much talent's on that roster. That is absolutely unacceptable. I think it's Fremantle for me. Because Paul Scruggs has shown flashes. He hit that major three at the end of, I think it was double overtime against Providence. It was either first overtime or second. It was crazy. Yeah, to push it to another overtime. But Zach Fremantle hasn't ever had it. He is one of the most intimidating big men in the conference because he's more athletic than Sonogo and Watson. So he can do more with his feet. He can stretch the court more than Sonogo or Watson can because those guys are pretty exclusively post players. Zach Fremantle has more abilities than that. And he hasn't shown it. And maybe it'll come out at the end of the season that his health really hampered him in ways that we couldn't see. But so far, this is just a team that you're right, has severely underperformed because the expectations on paper and at the beginning of the season was that who was going to be able to guard this team because their offense was going to be so lethal. They're so deep. They have so many weapons. You keep going down the list of all the things that they Mm -hmm. should be good at. And bottom line, like you said, they're three games under 500. That's not acceptable. You can't lose to Seton Hall at home by almost 20 points. That's awful. For me, he has been, he meaning Fremantle, the most disappointing player in the conference. I mean, to go from 16 points a game to 10 points this year, his rebounds have almost been cut in half everything across the board is down. Um, and I, I understand you know, the injury aspect, how much has this played into all year? Remember he missed the start of the season. They tried to ease him back into things through December, but you know, we're going into March now and I, it still surprises me what you're seeing from six point reduction in points per game, 12 points and three point percentage down. It's, it's honestly, it's really surprising to see the huge regression that we've seen from Fremantle this year. Yeah. For a guy that I know me personally, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was a front runner for Biggie's player of the year. Sure. After what we've seen, why yeah. not? Yeah. I do want to so, shout out Seton Hall though. They are playing really well right now. Yeah. Right? They always, they always get hot at the right time. Talking about momentum and getting hot and not wanting to play. I don't really want any part of them at the Big East tournament. <laughs> I said it, it's a real compliment if I pay it to them because I can't. Yeah, stand true. <laughs> so true. I would say I've been impressed with what I've seen from Seton Hall. Roden has picked it up a little bit and God knows when Bryce Aiken will ever play basketball again. Yeah, it's so weird how some of these teams are so reliant on one player. We talked about Justin Lewis and Marquette. We talked about how deep Xavier is, and it feels like Jared Roden or Seton Hall has underachieved because Jared Roden hasn't been as good as a lot of people expected him to be. And now that they've hit their groove, shocker, it's because Jared Roden, has, I think he's dropped 30 points in his last few games. So it's it's pretty insane to see that. Yeah, he's, he's a stud. Uh, it's tough for Roden because Roden was supposed to do this alongside Aiken, and Aiken has been mm-hmm. you know, dealing with the injuries, which has really hurt the Seton Hall offense. But they're starting to come alive lately. And, uh, of course, as you said, getting dangerous going into March. Is it still the head injury? It's so many things. I don't even think I didn't think know it. that he hadn't been playing, to be honest with you. Yeah, he hasn't played in a long time at this point. Um, so I, I don't know if he's coming back this season. 
yeah, it's going to be tough to win without him. Mm-hmm. That's thanks because he's an electric player to watch. Yes. Yes. He yeah. thinks he's Steph Curry, which can be a good thing <laughs> and a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if it's better to be a fan of him and have to root for him and count on him or not because <laughs> Steph Curry, that's tough to do. Okay. Anyways, um, UConn beat Georgetown. I don't have a ton of thoughts on that unless you do. Um, can Georgetown save the season? And by save the season, I mean get one win. Road games I, against Seton Hall and Xavier. I mean, it doesn't seem likely when you say that. I didn't know who they were playing, and especially since it's on the road. I, I am finally coming to the realization that Georgetown might actually go winless. And you and Brendan talked about it, but I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to flip it back to you. Is Patrick Ewan going to lose his job? I do. I understand all that goes into Patrick Ewing. I do not understand how you can bring back a coach that goes winless in the conference and hasn't won since December 15th, if that's what happens here. Really? Yeah. So you think he's done? I don't think it will be a firing. Um, As I said with Brendan, I think it would be some sort of mutual parting of ways uh, type language because he's, of course, he means everything to that, that program. But I just, with it, and it goes past, you know, the, the winless this year is that all the transfers that have happened, um, you know, throughout his time there, there, there's been some things. And, and the fact he, it's not like they've been particularly good really any season, especially in Biggie's play since he got there, they, they went on their run and they won a Biggie's tournament a year ago. And th- that's how Georgetown fans will remember the Ewing era. Um, but I just, I don't know how you bring a guy back that went winless. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm willing to give him a little bit more of a doubt and let him see these recruits into fruition because this was seemingly the first year in his tenure where there was, there was some normalcy, but now that you said it, why did Wahab transfer? That's there's something so that many questions, right? That's something that's been sticking with me because I got all the Akinjo stuff that was years ago at this point, that seemed to be a culture issue. And it seemed like we were past that. And then Georgetown was finally hitting its stride and it got that big tournament win. And then Cutis Wahab transferred. And that was weird. So you're right. I, I, I obviously can't predict the future. I think he might stay one more year. And I mm. honestly think it could be dire enough where they let him go mid-season if it doesn't start off the way they want it to. Ooh. But it's bad there. It's bad, bad. They are literally going to go winless. That's really bad for Georgetown. Yeah, I think they go clean break if it does happen and they wait until the end of the season, which is why I think this year, if they go winless, if they win one, I mean, you can say well, how much of a difference is really one to zero, yeah. but <laughs> it, it, it does make a, a huge difference being able to say yeah, it, exactly. And I don't know, I wouldn't be shocked if they beat Xavier this weekend. I'm just going to throw that out there as a little fun thing. Um, it's a little rude to Xavier. It is we'll rude to Xavier, but I think you get my point about how I feel about what we've seen from Xavier yeah. uh, this season. And then no, we'll go- I- I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And then one more game, an insane game. We can hit on this very quickly, but to Paul and, uh, and St. John's was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Actually. I did get to watch that game. Yeah. I didn't get to watch it. I was, was following the score live. I'll start with the positives first, because I think that's prudent. Tony Stubblefield has done an exceptional job with this program. I mean, Mm -hmm. transitioning from Ewing to this, he came in with nothing. He uh, came Liedo. in with a shamble. Sorry. Uh, Liedo to this. Uh, yes. It's insane. I, I mean, what this guy has done with the culture 
and using what he was given, Javon Freeman Liberty was named the biggest player of the week because he dropped 39 against St. John's, obviously. And just the fact that they were able to high power this offense to go up against a team that scored 94 points. We could talk about the defense, Mm -hmm. but DePaul's offense carried it. And I think that type of momentum talking about the ego point too, that matters that this DePaul team is now going to go into next season, knowing that they have a few wins that they can really build upon. And I think that's really important. As many conference wins this year as they had their last two combined. Yeah. Um, So he Stubblefield's doing a really nice job. It helps when you have Freeman Liberty who can score 39 and do so as efficiently as, as 14 of 21 uh, from the field. But I, I think it's exciting for DePaul and, you know, for, for St. John's, what a, let's be real. What a disastrous season. Uh, and I, I, I usually support Mike Anderson. My confidence has wavered in him a little with how things have gone. It feels like late game execution is wrong. It feels like when crunch time comes up, they seem to come up short. And, um, you know, I, I do wonder how much of that is the players, how much of that is the coaching. Um, Zach Brazilier actually did put a really great article in the New York Post kind of analyzing what's gone wrong with the Johnnies uh, this season. This They were supposed to be towards the upper echelon of the conference going into the year. Oh, yeah. And uh, what a disappointment. They were my pick for Dark Horse making yep. it to the tournament. I, I thought they had that potential. And I honestly feel less confident in Mike Anderson keeping his job than in Patrick Ewing keeping Ooh. his. Ooh, I, I think that'd be really reactionary from St. John's, but based <laughs> yeah. on what the expectations were this year, it, it's not out of the question. We just kept waiting for them to put it together and get better, and they didn't. They never did. And Champagny's gone, right? Uh, most After likely, this. yeah. So they're going to get significantly worse. You don't lose a player like that and get better. So it's only a, a higher mountain to climb, a steeper mountain to climb at this point. This was supposed to be their season where they got a little bit of that momentum going and they never did. Yeah. It's embarrassing. I, I'm, I think it's embarrassing for St. John's. It's this was a, a complete year. disaster for them. Yep. Yeah. All right. That, that wraps up the, uh, the very busy weekend, excluding the Providence game, of course, but I think it probably makes more sense to just do the preview and then we can talk about Providence as it comes up. Yeah, so we don't need to focus on either of the games because they'll uh, they'll get brought up as we talk through yeah. this, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Take us into Providence. You can start wherever you want. <laughs> and then there's those Providence Friars after we touch on the rest of their conference. Uh, they did win their first Big East regular season title in 43 years with the win over Creighton at the dunk on Saturday. And what an insane week it was. For Providence, the triple overtime game against Xavier on Wednesday. I feel like over the last couple of weeks, there's been about a game a week where I've said, oh, that's one of my favorite games I've watched uh, mm-hmm. this year. And it happened again with the triple overtime game. I could not take my eyes off of it uh, last week with with all the moments, you know, Providence sending someone up there to cause a leak in the roof to be able to take all the momentum away from Xavier. And the, the it crazy- was intentional. Leak. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and all the crazy shots that were hit throughout it. Uh, just <laughs> it, it was the most Providence week ever because of that. And then playing Creighton without the straw that stirs the drink in Nemhard, who had that just heartbreaking uh, hand injury that's going to put him out for the rest of the season. And it, as Providence has done all year, they took advantage of what's been thrown ahead of them. And they're your biggest champions. I think they're the grittiest team in the country. Ooh. I think I actually want to ask you straight up, but yeah. I really do feel like take away all the chatter this team gets pushed down and then stepped on. And then they continue 
to get back up. So I will ask you straight up, Pat, and I actually can't believe that we haven't had this direct conversation before. Mm-hmm. Is Providence legit? Have you listened to all the chatter and do you believe it? So it, it's a great question. Um, and I think it goes into both. I think first off, you cannot be in as many close games that they've been. You cannot win pretty much all of them and say that it's all luck. Cause mm-hmm. it, as we've seen this year from Villanova, it is a skill to close out games and win close games. It is not easy to do. And I think part of it is this team's experience. Their seventh most experienced team in the country. Uh, I, I think Ed Cooley's a lot is a huge part of it. it. It's that's very, very important. You cannot though downplay the luck factor that goes with them too. Um, and I, I did, I looked into this, you know, I mentioned it when I was doing the preview for the Providence game and it was just me, they were the number one team in the Ken Palm luck index. We know Ken Palm looks upon them very unfavorably in terms of a bunch of metrics. They are still number one, uh, in mm. terms of luck, uh, index. And it goes farther than that because I, I looked at it from the number three luckiest team to the number two luckiest team, according to Ken Palm, the difference is about 0.06 between the two of them. The difference from number two to Providence at number one is 0.19, triple the difference between three and two. So not only have they been lucky, but they have been significantly luckier than even the second luckiest team in the country. So it has to be talked about. I understand Providence fans get very upset when it gets brought up there. It's a part of it. It is. So it's a mixture of both. And what it has led to has just been a magical season for the Friars. Can you quantify what goes into the luck index? I can. I did uh, on the solo episode. I do not have it in front of me right now. Okay. I got to go back and listen to that because it truly seems like an unquantifiable thing. (laughs) But it's something that people have talked about all year long. And I think what makes Prov, what put Providence in the position that they are now is also what Providence fans hate the most about this team. Hmm. And it's that they let it go down to the absolute wire. They let themselves be punched in the face. They keep it close against a Butler and then play really, really well against a Villanova and a UConn. And it just seems to be this dancing back and forth. Talking about coaches is what we've done a lot this episode so far. I do not think I, I, without a doubt, surefire believe that this team would not be where it was if it didn't have Ed Cooley. And there was a lot of chatter about whether Ed Cooley even deserved this job at the beginning of the season. But I think Providence is a really good example of some of the things that make you really successful in March is that you have a really good coach that the players rally around. You have a lot of experience and you have experience winning the type of games that you usually see in March. And some of those games look like the Butler OT game and the Xavier three overtime game. I'm not saying games in March are going to go three overtimes, but that type of hectic hostile. I mean, it was a home, it was a home court advantage, but still I'm going to label it hostile because it was just absolutely insane in that arena. They just don't ever make it easy. (laughs) They're not a particularly (laughs) clean team. They're not a particularly great shooting team. They're not a particularly great defensive team, but they're the best team in the big East right now. And they're probably going to be a better seed than Villanova unless something crazy happens in the tournament really you think I do not I I think Villanova they're going to be four I think Nova yeah I think four shows kind of where the committee puts them right now Uh, listen all that can change going into the Big East tournament if Providence goes out there and wins the Big East tournament it's going to be difficult 
um, to uh, to rank any other team above them from the conference. Yeah. But as things currently stand, I think Villanova is a better basketball team than them. I think Villanova is a, will be higher ranked than them come the tournament. It just pro, pro, it cannot be taken away from Providence their ability to win these games. It cannot, and That's I refuse to. That's the perfect to. way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I I will not be one of those people that completely downplays everything here. I think, yes, you have to look at the fact that things have broken their way seemingly every single time, but it's also a skill to capitalize that. And it also goes into like, they have a true closer in Al Durham and kind of the impact that Durham has made on them. And also Jared Bynum has, I never expected the season that Bynum's had this year. So Providence, you know, their own player development using the transfer portal for a guy like Durham, it really has been the perfect mix for them. And they've been able to ride it to this incredible record. Yeah, and the thing that's crazy to me is how high-powered of an offensive matchup we had the last time we played them Mm. because I would be willing to bet almost the house that they're going to score. Both teams are going to score less than 70 points in this matchup on Tuesday. Yeah, I I think Nova's got a chance to eclipse it. Uh, I do, Um, but I'd be surprised if it went well over. It's not matching what we saw uh, at the dunk the first time. Uh, I will be, I, then I will be shocked, but I I could see a game in the low seventies to high sixties. It's interesting because, you know, you look at this game and some people may say, how much does this game matter? And I understand Mm -hmm. it because Providence has wrapped up the one seed. Villanova just needs to win a game this week or have UConn lose a game this week to finish as the two. I think it matters, especially when we talk about NCAA tournament seeding, because if Nova goes out there and sweeps the vaunted Big East champions here in in Providence, that's not going to look good uh, for for the Friars when they're looking to get these higher seeds and, you know, be placed close to home and all things like that, no matter what happens kind of in the Big East tournament. And for Providence, though, if they're able to add a road win against Villanova to their resume on top of some other very good wins that they had, especially out of conference, Texas Tech certainly comes to mind uh, with how big of a win that was. You know, that's going to be such a big deal for them. So in a way, no, this game doesn't mean a ton for the Big East standings when it comes down to the committee and what we're going to see in, oh, I don't know, 10 days for Selection Sunday. This game does mean a lot. Yeah, I emphatically agree with you. And I emphatically disagree with the people that think that this game doesn't mean anything and that we'll potentially see less effort. I get, I mean, this isn't the NFL. We don't need to rest in week 17 because they have the first round by. I don't think college basketball works like that. I think there's way too much invested on both sides. And Providence really wants to beat Villanova at the fin. It's mm-hmm. very, very obvious to me. And something I wanted to talk about was the schedule and how much chatter there is that UConn, I mean, uh, sorry, not UConn, Providence can't rightfully claim the regular season title because they had a couple important games postponed and canceled those games were Georgetown at Creighton versus UConn and at Seton Hall. Mm-hmm. So I understand the point and I understand that, yes, it would have been nice to see how Providence fared in those games, but they've also done enough to prove themselves, right? They did beat UConn. They did beat Xavier. They did beat Creighton. They did beat Seton Hall. So I'm having trouble completely quantifying the argument that Providence hasn't proved itself because it has. Now these people just seem to want more and yes, they're lucky, but we're also in a pattern where they continue to win these close games. And mm-hmm. like we've seen a million times for Villanova, Villanova hasn't been able to close those type of games. Mm-hmm. So I do think they deserve a lot of credit. 
They do. Uh, they're also fortunate that those games, especially those road games at Creighton and at Seton Hall are miserable games. Um, so to, to have those canceled is it helps, but we'll, we'll put yeah. it that way. And yeah. then and then listen, they went to overtime with DePaul and Butler. <laughs> I know. You know uh, and they went to triple overtime against the Xavier team that's really underperformed this year. I can go on and on. They are lucky. It's okay to say they're lucky, but they're also really good. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it. And I've been saying that about Providence for years. They play down to their opponents and they play up to their opponents. And it's the worst part about watching them because AJ Reeves got hot. And I don't think it's insignificant that he got hot against Providence and Xavier and uh, excuse me, against Villanova and Creighton and Xavier, the three games that they absolutely had to win. It also mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me that they let Butler take them that long because they just lose this focus. Actually, maybe it's something Alan Ray has been talking about all season long about how Villanova might lack focus. Providence is prone to turn the ball over when they don't focus. They're prone to miss free throws, which I actually think is their Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Durham has been really, really cold. He is absolutely That's true the best closer on this team, if not the best team in this, the best closer in the conference, but I don't think he has made a three point shot in at least a month. I think I read that (laughs) earlier today. It's been pretty insane. And you've had other guys step up. And I was recently on Jay Wright's press conference prior to the Providence game, talking about the challenges that Providence presents. And he immediately said, AJ Reeves is hot. We know about Watson. We know about Durham. We know about Bynum. We know that Horkler can make a big shot. Now you have to handle all those guys. And that always, that hasn't always been the case with Providence this year. It is. And that's why it's, they're so good, obviously, but then you run the risk of one of those guys being slow and then they fall back into that. Honestly, the, the dumb and dumber where they just make mistakes. Cause that's yeah. sometimes what Providence looks like. No, it, it's fair. So I guess that leads into two questions here that we can kind of group together. Um, how do you think Eric Dixon responds in this game last time out was a real struggle against UConn and Adamas Nogo four points were the fewest since the Marquette home game Four field goal attempted uh, where it was just fewest and Seton Hall on New Year's Day, actually. And do you think Providence changes up their game plan and runs through Nate Watson? Because I talked about it. I thought it was egregious that they didn't run everything through Nate Watson with how he was dominating Villanova and was able to get anything he wanted and they didn't really do it. So do you see, a Dixon kind of bouncing back and, and B province going more Watson centric. Yeah. I'll start with the Watson centric first. If it wasn't obvious the first time around, it definitely should be obvious after watching Volnova you lose to Yukon yes. because Sonogo just absolutely fully Dixon. I think Dixon's play centers around how present he is on offense because all these games, you said the field goal numbers it, there's, a, there's a direct correlation between how well he shoots and how well he plays, but just giving him more shots, I think, raises his confidence to the point where he feels like a, he's making an impact and then he's able to be more effective on the other side of the court. It's not like he's been egregious defensively and he hasn't been able to keep up with Sonogo or Watson. Those are the two best big men in the conference. We know that they're going to be difficult matchups for Dixon, but the reason why we've been so impressed all year long with Dixon it's because he's been able to make his mark against those big men offensively. And that's where we've seen the lack from him. So I think getting him involved offensively is going to be really, really important because honestly, I've come to the point, oh man, what was the game plan we were talking about? Maybe it was Kalkbrenner and Creighton. If Watson scores 25 points, I'm okay with that. 
but that also means that Dixon's needs to score 10 of his own on offense and Villanova's defense has to do really well against the guards on Providence. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I'm interested to see how much of a role he does play Yeah, because it has felt that uh, it's been a little bit of a lesser role from him recently. And I want to see him more involved and I want to continue to see him really get those touches. I think Jay has been playing smaller lately and Caleb Daniels has been seeing some more minutes and Eric has seen uh, a couple of his minutes start to trickle away here. I wonder if, they do play small against a team that can hurt you from the inside with Nate Watson, like Providence. I know Horkler, as big as he is, does like to stay around the perimeter as well. So maybe they can get away with playing smaller there. It's difficult. You know, it, it's not like Dixon had his hands all over that first game against Providence. Mm-hmm. He only had eight points. Eight points can be you know, very helpful to go with the nine rebounds. So it certainly wasn't a bad game. It just wasn't one of his best. I do think we see a little bit from Dixon. And if I'm Ed Cooley, though, I need to drill that ball down to Nate Watson and I need to do it over and over again until Villanova proves that they can stop you. Because just looking at what Watson did the first time to Nova, I just talked about it. We just saw what Adama Sanogo can do uh, inside the paint. I do think Sanogo is better than Watson, but it doesn't take anything away from Watson because he's so damn good uh, as well. I want to try and beat Nova in the paint here, suck them in and see if you can hit a Horkler, a Bynum and AJ Reeves lately uh, from deep and hurt Nova there. So I, I, I can't see how Cooley cannot take what he saw in game one and apply that in game two. Yeah, I agree with you. So do you think that Dixon's short leash, we, we've had this conversation before, but Dixon has definitely been on a shorter leash lately and D- Daniels has been stepping up in his absence. And I think Daniels has been doing a good job, but it seems like Villanova is at a significant disadvantage when Caleb is in because they're even smaller than they already are with Dixon. So do you think that's an option now? And then, in March, when Villanova might potentially have to play some really big teams, do you think that can be it? Or do you think it must be on Dixon to improve? Like, I don't know if Villanova can do it if Dixon doesn't do it. Yes, it's nice to have Caleb off the bench. Yes, it's nice to go small. And they've done well playing small. But Dixon has to make an impact on these games if Villanova wants to win. I think that they can, it only really hurts them when they go with the small ball, when the threes aren't falling, which is something that we've seen, you know, a decent amount this year, because we've talked about, this is not a great three point shooting team. Uh, I think what it gives you is flexibility. I like Caleb Daniels being out there a lot. The thing is he's not going to pull Samuels or Slater because at my brain would say, maybe you sit one of them play Dixon and have Daniels in there. Cause he'll give you a little bit more of a three point shot than, than under those two, but he's just not going to pull Samuels or Slater with all they do. Kind of the little things we'll say, even if it's not great or perfect offensively. So I think for Dixon, you know, he's got to try to make an impact where he can and, and understand that Jay's most likely going to go small. If, if he has a big game, he's going to stay out there because Jay, oh, yeah. Jay has shown that he does trust him. It just, a lot of it does come down to matchups. Yeah. I wonder if, that trust is going to be there late in the game if Watson has been playing well so far. Mm. I'm curious to see how that matchup is going to look. It, it's The thing is, if Watson's going off, it's going to be difficult to pull him because you just need someone to be able to match up with him. And as much as Jermaine is a good soldier for this team, asking Jermaine Samuels to body up Nate Watson you know, time after time is, is not no. exactly ideal. No, it's not realistic. Yeah, no. I, I'm super – I mean – it feels like every big game that we've played, we've said, oh, it comes down to Dixon. This is the big matchup to watch. And 
I think it's true. I think it's the obvious answer, but it is because we know that Gillespie and Moore can go toe to toe with the Reeves and Horkler. Gillespie and Moore are the superior shooters, even though Providence is the best team in the conference. What really worries me is how much Cooley is going to go down low and whether those shooters are going to be on and whether Villanova can rebound on the offensive end and try to duplicate that performance, which is going to be really difficult. Yeah. And then I've got one more question here. Cause I know we want to keep moving. Um, who comes through for Villanova? If the person is not Colin Gillespie, if Providence oh. keys in on him and is running him off the three point line, like we saw against UConn, who's that guy you think they look to for the scoring? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I think Moore was the guy who got off to the really hot start the first time around. And then he significantly cooled off in the second half. And that was when Gillespie got hot. So it worked out well, but I think teams have done a much, much better job in the second half of the season, limiting more. So I think it's going to come down to Slater Samuels or Daniels. And I'll actually go with Daniels because I've been feeling really good about the level of trust I have in Daniels, a choosing the right shot to take, because we all know that he's had issues with that in the past and B hitting that shot. So I think if Daniels can cash in, I don't know, 12 to 16 points, 25 to 32 minutes off the bench, that could be really important for Nova. Who do you think? All right. I was going to go Daniels. So now I'm going to change things up because I can't, can't give the same one. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, I'll go Slater. And, and why I go Slater is because we are seeing, you know, Brandon Slater making an impact against seven straight games with double mm-hmm. digit scoring from him. I just want to see him kind of, you know, have the the confidence really to, to go to a simple word to put those shots up and to drive in the lane and use that left hand and use that frame to get to the rim. Uh, because the, the more aggressive he is filling over really benefits from it when he's able to give them a slashing option that can also at least pull the trigger from three, as much as he mm-hmm. still doesn't look, you know, all the way comfortable from out there. You got to at least have it as a threat because that's what UConn was really uh, thriving off of was Samuels and Slater passing up all the open threes. Um, and defending them out there. So that's what I'd like to see. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if Providence does a similar thing where they try and completely cut off the lane for Gillespie and more so that the ball is in the hands of Samuels and Slater. I just can't imagine us winning this game because Slater goes off on offense. I would love for it to happen, but it just Mm. doesn't seem like that's the way it works anymore. It would be less surprising to me if in spite of all the guarding that he receives, Colin Gillespie overperforms anyway, and that's the way we win. But to take some of the pressure off of the main two guys and Gillespie and more, and to put it on Slater and Samuels would just make the whole offense so much more balanced and effective. So we don't do it too often then, but I think for a game like this, we can definitely do it. Who wins on Tuesday night? Oh, I think Nova. I, I think relatively easily Villanova wins actually yeah I'm gonna say I'm gonna put a score to it we haven't done that in a while all right let me think um I'm gonna say 69 64 Villanova I'm surprised you went there because you really did talk up Providence and you know call them the the best team in the Big East where I think Villanova is the best team in the Big East I just think Mm -hmm. Providence has been able to you know ride things out to a to a Big East championship I do think Nova wins as well on Tuesday night and I'll give it a score too then I'll I'll say uh, 72 65 Uh, yeah and I I really like what you said about what this win means to different players I mean to different teams Villanova needs that sweep 
Providence needs another resume win for, for their resume so that they can continue to rise in the seedings. And this would be that game for them. So if you're hearing people say that Providence isn't going to give a hundred percent effort, I would really question that person because I think Ed Cooley and co and co are going to go in screaming on Tuesday night. It's also, it's their last game of the season. They do not play yeah. this weekend. It, I understand the argument that maybe you don't play Bynum for 40 minutes or say <laughs> like, I get that, but you know, I, I don't think you're going to see it where the starters don't play too much. Cause then what, you're not going to have them play a real game for over a week before yeah, that's you a go good point in too. At, at Madison yeah. square garden on a noon game where teams can often come out flat. That's a dangerous game to play. So no, yeah. I, I think Providence is going to come out firing as well. Way too much on the line. I really like that point about rest too. That's always an interesting one to think about. Yeah. Rest I think it's going to be close. I, uh, another important question. Will the Finn even be half of what the dunk was the first time around? Uh, absolutely not because the students are on spring break. So it's going to be, uh, <laughs> absolutely brutal. <laughs> it's, it's up to Nova nation to bring it because, uh, the students gonna are say, not going to be there. Pat, it's actually up to you and your parents. I hope it, you know that the weight of the world is on you. Uh, trust me. I'm well aware. Um, okay, good. <laughs> At least yeah, you so know. I'm looking forward to being there, um, w- with my parents tomorrow. It'll be, it'll be a good one. It's a big one, of course, but yeah, no students yeah. makes it a little difficult. So if you're coming out Nova nation, be loud because yeah. we need it. Um, you know, would love to love to be able to add another one to the, uh, the resume here. And most importantly, we just love to knock Providence off their perch a little bit. Right. And my mother. Specifically. Uh, yeah. You need she that, needs right? to be, she needs to be brought down a few notches. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm pumped. All right, cool. So we're going to get into what Nova needs to do to be successful in March right after this quick word about our sponsors at 199. We have exciting news from our friends at 199, a company creating original designs tailored to the nostalgia of the epic moments in college basketball history. 199 celebrates the era, the players, the coaches, and the rivalries of the game. And speaking of rivalries, check out the newest collection dropped by 199 of Villanova and the University of Connecticut apparel. 199 restocked your favorite apparel and added new vintage items. So go to 199.com, that's the numbers one nine and the word nine, all one word, to grab everything you might need. So Pat, I am excited about the way we're going to go about this March, because like we said at the beginning, it is March 1st as you're listening to this. We've closed the chapter on the regular season, even though of course we have more games, but this is when it really starts. And this is when we're going to see if those preseason expectations of Villanova and its experience and it's coaching actually turn into something in the, in the tournament. Yeah. I, you, you're so right. Uh, so it, it's going to be, as I said, we're, it's March it's here. Let's get into it. I'll start with the first question for you. Then what gives you the most confidence about this team heading into March? It's composure. Mm. And I actually wrote down the three things you need to win in March. So I guess I'll say all of them. Cause I think Villanova has all these things, good coaching experience, and composure. And I think Villanova's strength specifically besides the coaching point, obviously, and the experience one, they don't necessarily have control over. They just have it. So they're going to use it. Villanova is still on track to have the best free throw shooting year in college basketball history. Correct. Correct. If that isn't composure, tell me what is all of these guys or the majority of these guys guys have been there. They've done it. 
They're not intimidated by the moment. They will never let their emotions get the best of them. They're going to go out and play their game, their full 40 minutes of attitude and Villanova basketball, even though it's cheesy and we hate saying it, it's true. That's the type of stuff that makes me confident because no moment will be too big. They'll just go out and play their game. That's what would worry me about a team like Providence. They're too inconsistent. Xavier's too inconsistent. Baylor's got so many young players and so many big personalities. You're not sure something bad could happen. I don't worry about that with Villanova. And I think that's a really big advantage. Yeah, I I like that. For me, it's this team's ability to evolve that we've seen throughout the season. And it it has really impressed me. And I think it's a storyline that can often go by the wayside because people will just stick to the bench and see how, you know, Jordan Longino or Brian Antoine are playing. And it's a frustration point for me as well. But if you look at the evolution of this team from Slater, you know, scoring 20 points a game to scoring five points a game to scoring 10 points a game to Eric Dixon growing more into the offense to mixing in zone at times, which is something they've done on defense from starting off with all threes and then moving into the paint. There have been so many different examples this year where Villanova has changed things up and evolved for the better. And because of that, I feel good about them going into March because I think they can change their game plan depending on matchups and hurt teams and change how they do things to be able to give them a better, uh, a better outlook going into a game. Yeah. I really like that answer. And that's an ode to the coaching staff too. And we might not have liked the way that Jay Wright and his staff handled the bench situation this year. Yeah. I still disagree with it. You have to give them credit for the way they have evolved with their six starters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) They've made it work. They've made it as the two seed, as we speak, I think we're still poised to have a deep run in March. Everything has gone right. You'd think that maybe we're missing a little bit of potential because of those decisions, but you're, I, I love the evolution point. They have done an incredible job of rolling with the punches and taking what other teams give them. They're, they're, they've been so good at that. On the flip side, what are you most nervous about? <laughs> I knew that one was coming. Yeah, um, right. I think I'm nervous that speaking of the bench, they become too reliant on Gillespie specifically. And if he can't score, this team struggles to create shots of its own. And we haven't had that type of game in a while. And I think in the second half of season of the season, especially the team has done a better job of functioning without Colin. I actually think I've said that before that that was a severe weakness at the beginning of the season. And they got better at it, whether it was, Slater hitting more shots, Slater taking more shots, more Dixon, et cetera. But it just worries me that Gillespie, because he is the leader, feels like he has to carry everything. And if he has an off shooting night, which freaking happens sometimes, it's still mm-hmm. just one game. I worry that this team will will panic a little bit and struggle from a offensive perspective. That's fair. And then I took the easy one here. I'm just petrified about this team's ability to close when it comes. Late. Yeah. We just talked about Providence and their ability to close and how they've been able to get it done basically every single game. You know, of course, just coming off that UConn game, the Georgetown close was ugly. Yeah, you can go. There are so many. different. <laughs> the St. John's game was a disaster that they won. There, had to there, mention that. Yeah, there are so many different games here that that you can go back to with where they've been outscored in the last 10 minutes or found ways to unravel in the final couple of minutes where it's a real legit problem and very, very nervous about, especially going up against some really quality teams in March for how that'll play into it. We have seen some signs of life 
They closed mm-hmm. very well against Seton Hall and Providence uh, in February, but there have been too many instances where I am scarred enough this season that that is absolutely glaringly what I am most nervous about. Yeah, that's funny because I think we spent the majority of the season talking about the caliber of the Big East this year and how happy we are that the competition is so good and so high and none of these games are gimmies, and that's really good for Villanova. But I haven't had the same type of fear for Villanova closing against any Big East team as I had against the UCLA's, the Purdue's, and even the Baylor's, right? That, that, that caliber of team just feels different than the type of teams that Nova played in Big East. And I'm not saying that Providence couldn't make a deep run, and I'm not saying that UConn couldn't make a deep run. But to have to go up against one of those teams, the Kentuckys, the Auburns, that feels different. And then I, then I feel like I go back to that nervous energy of wondering whether this team can close. Yeah, no, you're, you're there. And then one last point, and you can take this anyway. What needs to go right for them to make this deep run? Uh, I mean, it would be really nice if they played in Philly. <laughs> that would help. Could that go right? Did you see the, the athletic article about I, how potentially – the, the unfairness of Villanova playing in Philly. Oh, I wasn't sure if we were going to touch on this. Uh, I did. And Nova nation is going to kill me um, because yeah. I agree. I actually think yeah. it's insane. If the committee puts Villanova as a three or a four seed in Philadelphia with a chance, imagine you're Kansas or Kentucky, you're a one and a two seed and you have to play Villanova literally on their home court. Uh, I think it's crazy. I do not think there's unless Villanova was a one seed. I do not think they should be put in Philly. That's my own personal thinking. I would be beyond thrilled if they get put into <laughs> Philly and they are on track to go into Philly if they're on that three line, as the committee discussed before. But that's my own personal thoughts. I'm sure I'll take some heat for that. But I, I did agree with that athletic article. I think people will agree with you. That's how I feel, too. The thing that stuck out to me about the article was a specific line when he wrote, Villanova can make a deep run to potentially the final four on their own. They don't need the home court advantage. And that's what people would be talking about if that happens the way we think it might. Mm. And that stuck with me because it's true. And if it happens, it's not Villanova's fault. They didn't do anything about it. It's the way that the committee is set up, but people are not going to think of it that way. And that would give me a really bitter taste in my mouth because of course it would help, but that doesn't mean that they set it up that way. You know, like it just seems like a very obvious fix is not letting a certain team play in their region. If they've played more than five games at that place over the course of the last two seasons, it's very obvious to me that we're not giving anybody any sort of advantage. That being said, if it happens, I think that makes Villanova's road a lot easier than it would if they were in Chicago or any of the others yeah, listen- right now. Listen, Villanova, listen to what the restrictions are. They only played three home games at Wells Fargo this year, and that allows for them to still get put there. So they they followed the rules. I just, I think the committee, I don't understand it from the committee's point. As I said, I will be thrilled. Do not take this as me saying it cannot happen. It won't happen. It's just that I, I, unless there were one seed, I I wouldn't put them there because I think the advantage is so big. Yeah. And another just quick real answer. I remember we were having a similar conversation about Nova ceiling in the NCAA tournament last year. And I think you and I agreed that Jeremiah Robinson Earl, his NBA future would be decided by how he played 
in the NCAA tournament. And it obviously worked out in his favor because now he is an NBA player. I think the future of Justin Moore and Eric Dixon will be decided in this tournament. And I do think Eric Dixon stays for another year and next year's tournament too, because those two guys can be what pushes Villanova from a really good team to a final four contender. Yeah. Big, big tournaments for them would be huge. And then kind of along those lines, and it's interesting based off of what you said just a little bit earlier, I say for what needs to go right for them, you know, don't lose sight of who the go-getters are. Do not lose sight Mm -hmm. that this team runs through Colin Gillespie. And if they are going to go deep, it is because Colin is going to be putting the team on the back and taking the brunt of the scoring. It means Justin Moore needs to play really well. And it most likely needs means that Eric Dixon is going to have to pitch in as well. But this game, listen, we can talk all about how Slater needs to come through and is Jermaine Samuels going to be an X factor and what's Caleb Daniels going to do from three. This team will, as far as this team goes, it will be if Colin Gillespie can get them there. And it is that simple. Interesting. So you're not worried about reliance at all. Oh, listen, it's important. Of course, they're going to need other players to step up. But if Gillespie scoring 22-25, I feel a lot better about where this team can go. Interesting. And you just hope that that ankle shores up because he has been dealing with so many, an assortment of injuries. And it feels like every time he looks normal, he goes and tweaks it again. So the toughness that he has displayed has been incredible. And he has put the team on his back all the way up to this point. So you just hope he has enough left to have some of those vintage performances that he had in the, in the regular season. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good point. And I think it's, it is an interesting way to compare what I said to what you said, because I fear that we rely on him too much, but also if he's dropping 22 to 25, like you said, then, oh my God, continue to give it to the hot hand. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun. Um, yeah. It's, it's big. I know we were going to do big East, but there's not too much to go into here. So you want to kind of skip over that and just finish with Jerry's question. Cause I know we did. Yeah. Let's Perfect. do it. Yeah. So just four, four big East games on Wednesday night uh, before the next Thursday uh, episode drops, not too much conference shaking games going on there. So, but Jerry did ask us a question last week. He did submit it after we finished recording. And of course, with our man, Jerry, we always got to make sure we answer it. His question is very simple. Will you be at the Big East tournament in New York city? (laughs) You go first. (laughs) Yes, Jerry, I will. I am so, so excited uh, to to be able to get in there. I'm not a hundred percent sure what days and you know how many games I will be in there for yet, but I will absolutely be there. And I could not be more excited to make it back there for the first time in a couple of years with, you know, COVID and then not having fans a year ago. And, oh man, it's going to feel really good to get back. It has felt like a really long time. Yeah. But the more important question, will it be a business trip or a pleasure trip? <laughs> I believe it's a pleasure trip for me. Okay. Uh, I'm, all right, good. I'm off from work. I work. I'm off from work. I took off from work um, so that I can just enjoy it. Um, yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to it and uh, oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. So my plan was to take the back half of that week off and then I got a new job. Mm. So I cannot be taking time off this early, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to go at least on Saturday. So my plans are still a little bit tentative, but I, Hopefully we'll be there Saturday and hopefully we'll be watching Villanova play. <laughs> <laughs> no guarantee. There exactly. really is not. It, Friday night is going to be insane um, yeah. in the semifinals. And who knows if Villanova even gets there because they're, they're going to have to go up against a, in a tough game on Thursday as well. I'm so excited. And then so, so I love Selection Sunday. I feel like more than the average person. I absolutely <laughs> love it. 
So the sequence of game of games and days that we're going to see over the next week is going to be insane. I'm so excited. It's the, it's, this is March. It's how yeah, we started this here. podcast. It's how we will end this podcast. Oh yeah. This is March. Happy March, everybody. We are here. Um, so that'll do it for us here on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for articles on the Providence game, as well as leading into Butler later in the week. Leave a rating, subscribe to the show, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N pod. We will be back at it on Thursday. Everyone, enjoy the Providence game. If you're going, pack the fin, get loud, and Nova Nation. That's right.